Welcome to the very first episode with a guest. Wow. Episode one. Thank you for being here. This is the Wilderness Within podcast with me, your host, Jonathan, aka Kai. We're here today with Mariana Jimenez, a sister from a different mother who I've known since 2015. We met in the lower Himalayas of Nepal through an NGO named Conscious Impact. And this is an organization for those of you who've known me that really shifted the course of my life and added tremendous amount of value, immeasurable value to my life, one of which is Mariana. And this conversation was recorded in her home at the time in Tulum. We actually took a walk outside to nearby yoga center and holistic center called Holistica. And we walked in the gardens behind where the studios and buildings and hotel rooms are. There's an art walk that features many beautiful and expressive and interpretive art pieces, small and large. And through for an hour and a half, we just took a walk as we would as friends. Uh, but we very intentionally talked about certain topics that I've been wanting to do a deep dive with with her to A, get to know her better, and B, really bring forth some of the knowledge and experiences that Mariana has had throughout her life. So it has really served as a connective piece for us as friends. And yeah, I really hope that some of the topics we covered are going to be of value and could maybe spark curiosity in community living, in natural buildings, in the way we see the world, the dynamic of being student and teacher, personal empowerment, and reflect on what kind of living situation could be ideal for you and those around you. So let's dive right in. Now, being that this is a a conversation that we had over a year and a half ago. It took me a few times to really sink back to the headspace that I was in, that she was in. And since then, Mariana's life and my life certainly has shifted quite a lot. She has become a mother of her firstborn, Camilo Rio, with her partner, husband, Orion, who's actually going to be the next guest for the Bullets Within podcast. So it's only very appropriate that two people that have been a big part of my life that have added a lot of value and joy and knowledge into my world are the very first guests for this podcast that I'm launching. So thank you for being here. Sit back. Hope you enjoyed this conversation and love to hear from any of you that's listening on what you got out of this conversation. my head it's very clear and I think it's a hundred percent achievable there's some things that I just don't know how to make happen but okay. when I think of Nepal I think of Nepal as I know it you yeah. know camp full of people like still like 
very like, engaging with the local community, hosting international volunteers. That's one element. But for me and what I love and miss a lot, especially here right now, it's the community element. The living in a communal space, sharing the load, you know, sharing chores, sharing, yeah, lifestyle together and living close to nature as well. I don't think I ever took it for granted, but now that I'm not there, especially now more than ever, just like appreciate it a lot more. And just how, mm-hmm. yeah, how easy it was to be connected to yourself just by being in nature. How easy it is just to be in constant service by living in community. And how that, sharing that load just gives you a lot more space individually just to put energy into the things that you want to do. Whether it's reading a book or writing a song or doing yoga or meditating or going for a hike, like whatever it is, you name it. And it's okay. I think right now, now that I'm in a space where I have, I work nine to five, you know, five days a week. I don't have that space. I don't have that energy. I can't choose my own adventure. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, Ryan's a great partner and we both cook. We both clean. And I still feel like I do it all the time, you know. Or like he does all the time. Like we just do it all the time. It's just like a constant. We are sharing a load between two, but I know it's counterintuitive, but it's much easier to share a load between 16, 20, 30 people. I see Nepal and I hope that Nepal stays like that. Just like communal living in community, um, in nature, still very much like a, you know, service part of what we do there. And I see Mexico the same. I don't, see myself living with Orion on the land. Like I still want community living. I still want to be of service to not just our international community, but to the local community. I want Nepal in Mexico. (laughs) Mm. That's what I would like to create. And I think that we have the skill sets, we have the people, we have the capacity, we have the knowledge. We've spent the last six plus years developing the right method or the right way to do it. So... Yeah, it's definitely achievable. It's just not as easy to show up to a community and be like, hi, yeah, we want to live here. Hi, we want to be your neighbors. Yeah. Like, if you were to replicate a lot of these elements that we have lived by in mm-hmm. Nepal the last six years, A, of course, start finding a community, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That is receptive to that kind of interaction, right? Mm-hmm. You as perhaps someone that's not from that region to, to live there and share the space mm-hmm. and have some sort of exchange interaction right yeah and so that could be a multi-year process exactly and then if you involve other people let's say friends and maybe even family that you have or the biological or chosen mm-hmm. then you'd have to maybe be the pioneers to find a space and find it together yeah. and set it up and formulate some sort of parameter agreement boundaries yeah right so it's like yeah you're in it for a <laughs> You're in it for I mean, a long haul, that's for sure. I'm in it, but there's I know what my skill sets are. Yes. And I feel really confident in those. But when it comes down to finding uh, the community or, fi- or you know creating those relationships, I know I rely on others. And I think of those people being like Beth and Orion, you know, like where I don't myself feel comfortable or clear vision in that space, but I trust other people with my life yeah. to find that. I think Nepal was very easy because there was a clear need, the earthquake, you know. Right. So it was a clear need for us to be there. People were really open because of that. But I think that's one part of the model that we don't want to repeat. We don't want to go into a community 
with a clear necessity for us to supply that because then I think the relationship dynamics are a little bit different. You know, we want to be perceived since the beginning as like, oh, they're here to help us because, you know, I don't want them to be feel like the victims are here like to risk. That's not... You don't want to save your mentality. No. Yeah. And, and, and I think we're really good at not doing that in Nepal either. But since the beginning, just like just going in as neighbors that will love to help more than help just to collaborate and yeah. just do things together versus oh we're here too and that's where a new space in mexico mm -hmm. could provide that blank canvas for you to come in there not as a post-disaster yes. unit yes exactly but truly as like hey we're new here but here's what we want to create yeah yeah are you in are you in yeah 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 but so speaking into the element of the skill sets that you can provide mm -hmm. and you know those around you maybe that you choose to live with and share time with mm -hmm. can provide yeah talk more about that dynamic and like who you might need in a co-living situation like that you must have around i want greg i want allison i yeah, want yeah. Ben. i want the same crew like i want <laughs> the people that i've spent the last six years living with to be my family and like yeah. if i and when have kids like i want them to be you know the yeah. the uncles and aunts and because i think all of the people that have shared the last you know including yourself obviously like the way that you document things and the way that you, it's just i think all of us bring something very special to the table yes. and for me all of those things are very key like yeah. i want someone i'm not going to be the one in the garden you know <laughs> i'm not like i can like i love getting my hands there but like that's not i appreciate it i value it mm -hmm. but i'm not going to be the one overlooking totally. so i want someone like you know ideally yeah. craig to be overlooking and be taking care of that element and then yeah you have like beth like engaging with the community and trying to move projects and then myself with like the building i think that's also one of the values about living in community that we all bring something different to the table and like that's how it works like i cannot be or don't want to be doing it all. yeah we and, value the diversity yes you know yeah. and and we, embracing that. and even if you your strength and training is in the engineering the building mm -hmm. and envisioning of what a physical structure would and could look like mm -hmm. you still bring a lot more than that to the table you bring art you bring mm. songs you bring drumming right <laughs> and just strength in so yeah. many different manners yeah i don't i don't perceive so. myself like that but it, it's true. Oh, I know here, it's true. I know. I'm here I, to I, tell you as your past housemate <laughs> that you yeah, do. <laughs> thank you. I do forget about that. I do. I truly forget. But yeah, even, you know, like chanting, just guiding that space sometimes, holding yeah. that space in the morning, the chanting, yeah. like people really value it and appreciate it. But like, I don't see myself as being that person or the drumming. Right. But it, it, it's, it's part of being in that space, like right here, not having that support system, not having that space. I'm not drumming. Yeah. I'm not singing. I'm not like... Well, you managing a fire like you can't even announce like hey tomorrow 7 a.m chanting like, exactly who's gonna like who are you talking that to yeah. who's gonna that's yeah. the that is one of the the sadder ironies and realities mm -hmm. of the way in which a lot of people live in urban er environments mm -hmm. where they don't have pre-existing or formulated connections and so they feel extremely isolated ironically even though they're physically next to thousands and thousands oh God, of people 100 it's so individual it's very very yeah. much like it's it's wild quote engagement rates right like the way people do talk about marketing and mm -hmm. social media like 
the most ironic thing is, like, in a city, often the engagement level is really low. It's so actually. low. Well, non-existent. Example, like, like, non-existent in a lot of cases. I mean, some people have cultivated our friends in Long Beach, California, mm-hmm. right? They formulated their own kind of circles to mm-hmm. have engagement. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in your case, uh, in Orion's case here, having been in Tulum for four or five months, mm-hmm. you know, like, you have to, like, basically filter through all the people that come through here, all the transients, the, the semi-locals, actual locals, mm-hmm. and go, do, where do we have overlap? And it's like, the end result is very little because you yeah. also have this time commitment that takes you away physically and energetically from you're being just, able to connect with others. You're just drained by yeah. what society, quote-unquote, like demands from you but right. to live in a space like this. Yeah. I think also when we are somewhere like in Nepal, all those filters already have it just by someone just by being in a space that already has chosen to be in a country like that that already has chosen to be a volunteer that already has chosen right. to being okay with camping for example <laughs> like that's already filtered yeah you know so the people that we get to share our experiences on a daily basis like it's people that we're extremely already like-minded people exactly and it's just such a beauty to like it's very easy to connect with people that come to the space because yeah. you're already in a, like vibrating at a very similar, you know, energetically. Exactly. You're like you're already very like minded. Yeah, and when you're in a when you're in a space, like even though I can be in you know Guadalajara with like seven million, but how many out of those seven million people are like like men or share similar values to mine? Yeah. And that's a part of like I don't know. Especially it's very hard if I especially if I go to a bar, like already you know. It's like random darts the, in the dark. Yeah, exactly. And so and I, that that's where I question, and I'm glad you bring this up. I question like, have cities gotten way too big for their own good? Oh, a hundred percent. You see, and there's then, no doubt. Yeah. So going back to a more how our ancestors would have lived, mm-hmm. smaller villages mm-hmm. where you actually at least know the names, or like, oh, they belong to that family, mm-hmm. or like that's the type of work that they do, and they live here. At least you you are acquainted. Right. With everybody. And everyone's like at, at most a second degree connection away. Yeah. I mean, that's socially and psychologically. And for me, the, the most obvious one is just like even the physically, like how do we like the building part of it, the waste part of it, yes. the food part of it. Yeah. Like for me, like cities are definitely not sustainable. I'm yeah. not saying they're good or bad. Yeah, exactly. I'm just saying they're not sustainable. Right. They're not like they're not like a. Yeah, like a circular model that no, you can follow. Not, like not they're, a close loop they're at not all. exactly. They're not yeah. meant. I mean, we didn't plan this. Obviously, you know, many many years before, and it's sort of just like happening. But yeah, I don't think they're a sustainable way of living moving forward. And I think it's a hard topic because a lot of my friends and my family are still living in that setup. So I always want to be like really just mindful and kind and not just criticizing like, oh, I'm yeah. right, you're wrong. Like it's, it's everyone's on their own path. Yeah. Everyone's on their own journey. Yeah. And that's fine. Like I, I also know that not everybody's just going to like move to the mountains. Like that's not for everyone either. But the way that I see it and the, the way that I want to hold my values, I don't fit in a city space yeah. like anymore. That is invaluable. The clarity that you have gained and I've gained mm. and Orion has gained mm-hmm. through especially having lived this way of lifestyle yeah. is abundantly clear to us now yeah. that this model that many people are subscribed to or are subscribing to because they're actually leaving their villages to go to cities and search for opportunities and so forth um, actually don't work for us. 
And I yeah. say, I can only say, say, say for ourselves, right? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. And now any future decision or living situation and who you want to attract or re-attract in this case, mm-hmm. <laughs> how do we get our old friends to back in the same spot is, is with such better clarity on how, what, why, what, and, and when. Yeah. And, and speaking of when, there's an opportunity window coming up, right? Because you guys will finish your lease here. Yes. There's a, there's a plan, intention to to leave around June. Yes. And big, so, yeah. you know, you have now this, like, upcoming window of time mm-hmm. to create it and to find it. Yeah. I mean, it also comes with a lot, a lot of uncertainty and just being okay with that. I don't feel COVID has affected me in the way that it has affected other people. But, right. I mean... Maybe it's very similar in some ways and very different in others. Yeah. But, you know, I never, like, planned or thought that I was leaving Nepal for the amount of time that I left. I left thinking, like, oh, I'm going to be back for the time. Like, I'll yeah. see you in a couple of months. Like, it's that been, was my mindset. It's been a year and it's been and over a year and a half. Now. Yeah, and it's been wild to, like, have been calling that space home for so long and then not being there. And then it's like, okay, it's COVID. And it's just, and now not sure what's going to happen. Yeah. You know, like, still... Today, it's still like two years, you know, after COVID, like still not knowing what's going to happen. I think Nepal is always going to be a home and I carry it in my heart. And every time I think about it, talk about it, it brings me nothing but joy yes. uh, and also tears because I get very, very emotional. Yes. But it's not clear. I came to Tulum because it was a place where I knew I could find job. It's developing rapidly. And I thought I knew I could find some sustainable building. Yeah. So it was easy in a lot of ways. Right. But in a lot of ways, it's been very difficult. Like, again, like me and Orion had never lived in a concrete box. We've <laughs> never had to deal with rent and electricity <laughs> and Wi-Fi and a car. Together, and, especially as a married couple. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah, I haven't lived in that kind of like setup for like, you know, seven plus years. So yeah. living that, I think we we love each other and we're very com- like comfortable with each other. And that's been great. But everything, every other element has been really challenging. Just in a way of like, yeah, reflecting and... I knew before that I didn't want to live this way, but now more than ever, I've experienced it, you know, physically, mentally. I have gone through the process of living this kind of life and, you know, I'm like, okay, no, thank you. (laughs) And then, yeah, we said, you know, June, we'll go somewhere else. Where would that somewhere else will be? I don't think we're quite clear. Yeah. When we think about Mexico, we think about Oaxaca. Yes. Mountains. We like mountains. Okay. Yeah. Wink. It has a lot to offer. And, but we don't know. We don't know how that connection will happen. Yeah. And I think we still have a lot of energy and love in Nepal. So also waiting for when that's a good moment for us to go back. But, exactly. You know, June is the middle of, beginning of monsoon. So yeah. can't be Nepal quite we're, yet. We're awaiting for signs, but yeah. also not just idling, taking a proactive patient stance mm. mm-hmm. on what could be when the opportunity comes you will you can answer to it yeah yeah so it's a transition it's exciting time and, it's exciting yeah. and we're looking at a mural here <laughs> where it's a, it's a transition period yes. too it seems like for all the beings well it's so funny like, i think we're talking I, I know that you guys can see it but maybe jay lee will share a picture Yes. of this but it's like you can see it's like a cd sort of element the person like wearing a suit and like a face very snake-like going through yeah with scales literally <laughs> yeah and the tail going through like a portal or like a door 
change with the universe. And then, yeah, it's so funny because we're talking about this and we're yeah. standing in this mural. So. It's very fitting. And yeah. there's, there's <gasps> celestial bodies and flowers. Yeah. Another portal. Time. Feminine mm -hmm. and masculine energies. Yeah. The brain with time tipping on the top. Mm -hmm. It's a powerful piece. Yeah. So speaking of transitions and portals. Yeah. Let's walk through it. walk through it? Wow. <laughs> it's only fitting. Yeah. yeah. It seems like we're dealing with the repercussions of deforestation. Mm -hmm. DNA. Coming, coming to terms with our own DNA mm -hmm. and how it's from the cosmos. And on the other side is a person, I would argue a female figure, mm -hmm. poking her head into a gigantic flower. Yeah. And it's a beautiful hummingbird flying behind her oh. with like a key. Return to, oh, return to source, return to nature and her creations. Yeah. That's how I interpret it. So Tulum has some things to offer like this. You know, it's, it's nice to be able just we're, to go on a walk in. We're both <laughs> grateful for this nature art walk here yeah. where it's quiet. Yeah. Because <laughs> the city's not. I want to dive into the upbringing part, because that part really fascinates me, mm -hmm. because I see it as, and pun intended, the foundation of a building. Mm -hmm. And you are, in my eyes, in my opinion, a solid building, <laughs> because you've had a very solid and diverse background to draw your mm -hmm. experiences and knowledge from. Mm -hmm. And I've learned, actually... <laughs> A Only lot. recently. <laughs> yeah, very recently, a few days ago, about the U.S.-Mexico back and forth, and then that brief stint in France after <laughs> high school, and then was the time that I did hear about in London. Uh -huh. And so you have had in your first 20 or so years of your life. Oh, you haven't even heard about right. Argentina. Yeah, you see what I mean? <laughs> At least countries. these five different countries, regions that has shaped you to mm -hmm. who you are. Yeah. So I'm curious to make it, I guess, a bit more brief. Mm -hmm. What are some of the, I guess, really outstanding elements, maybe p moments of time where you're like, this was a pivot moment, this was Ooh. a pivot moment. And so just briefly describe these spots. Like, for example, you were telling me how Toulouse, you had this epiphany. You're like, <laughs> wait, what do you mean people don't have tortillas and beans every oh, day? Gosh. Right? Yeah. And then, of course, needing to speak a new language. Mm -hmm. And where your common language with others was the little French that you knew. Yeah. You could not rely on neither Spanish on or Spanish. English. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, you had already gotten good at. But you're like, oh, this third new language that I have... Maybe you're even thinking, like, why did I choose France? <laughs> but yeah, what are some of these pivotal moments that really defined your childhood and teenage years? That's a, that's a great question. I mean, I think it's, it's hard to, I'm sure I will forget a couple of them. Take what we can get. Yeah, and to shape me the person that I am today, I definitely have to say a lot of it, it's, I don't know if it's just genetics, but just um, my, I come from a lineage, I think, of very strong, independent women. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like traveling by myself since a very young age. Like the fact that, you know, like we moved to the States and I was just traveling overnight buses from Guadalajara to Texas. Mm. Um, Dang, that's a long way. Yeah, but I was like 12 years old, but like there was no fear around it. I think well, my, like my mom and my grandmother and everybody was just very supportive. Like obviously taking the precautions, coming, and like, they used to like come and talk to the chauffeur and be like, she's going by herself all the way. Like make sure you keep an eye on her. But, you know, like there was never fear around me being independent. So I think that just like shaped me, shaped me into just, traveling for three months around the U.S. and Canada on a bus, like right. just my family being nothing but supportive. So I think just like them pushing me and my grandmother was the same. And she took so much pride of like how much I was like that, like her because she also just like moved right, oh. left, up, down. Her as well. Yeah, yeah, her as uh, well, yeah. This is the grandmother in McKellen. Well, she lived her whole life and was from Texas, lived in Chicago, met my grandfather, and just the rest of her life in Guadalajara. Only the last couple of years she was in McAllen, right. Texas. But she, she's, she's seen some travel in her years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not like not outside of Mexico and the U.S., sure. but within her story and her mindset, like that was already yeah. pretty much. But like, that ability, right, which in her generation yes, was somewhat exactly. even more rare, exactly. was then passed on to your mother. and then She you. was a gringa. Coming to a very small town in Michoacan, like everybody right? in Michoacan was dressing, you know, like tr- like dresses, like skirts, long skirts. She was the only one wearing jeans huh? and like hats. Like she, she was like a like she came to a small town in Michoacan when she married my grandfather. So she went through like a lot of like no those like shocking. Like for me was oh I'm in Toulouse there's no tortillas. She went to a place where there was no Walmart and no like no McDonald's. So she went to like a meat store with like the cow hanging she almost like fainted because she'd never seen that in her life. I didn't realize she was a gringa f- yeah. from Walmart land. She was, all of her lineage was Mexican, but she was uh, in Texas when they, the transition happened. So she was sort of like the generation that she wasn't allowed to speak Spanish. Like her grandmother only spoke Spanish, oh. but she wasn't allowed to speak Spanish at school. Like they would just like hit her in the hands for like, oh, yeah, shoot. she would tell that story. So she was Mexican because her grandparents and, you know, grandmother and like mom were mexican but she was in this transition like transitional phase in texas and then they moved to chicago so in chicago was even like you know you're more far away gathering that from them since a very young age is very independent woman like with traveling and moving traveling was just for me just the biggest school Mm. it just takes you out of whatever you think the reality is it's like no it's not you just get to see other cultures, other mm. languages, other other religions, other building. Like I don't think you're as aware when you're doing it, but it just keeps breaking these barriers that we have created in our heads, unconsciously, you know, not intentionally. Then all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is another reality of lifestyle exactly. that I had no idea existed. I think growing up in Mexico, we're very sheltered in, this, in the way of everybody's Mexican. Everybody's Catholic. You don't question that. You don't ever. I don't. I didn't even encounter it's like so all uniform, the religions. And, yeah, you wouldn't know. Otherwise. You wouldn't know. Everybody goes to bautizos. Like it's just <laughs> you don't question people's religion or yeah. background or anything. Not in a mean way. It's just it's not. We're all Mexicans. Totally. We're all Catholic. You know, and and that kind of like uprising. So I never diversity was just not something that I even thought about because yeah. I wasn't exposed to it. So you had the traveling on your own? I was very young when I did that. I think I was like, you know, we were going to Canada and going to the States, but it was still sort of familiar yeah. in a way. 
I think, not even Europe, honestly, because Europe would still like, it's pretty much Catholic. It's like still like churches and yeah. stuff. And even though there's different language and different food and there's no tortillas, which I find shocking and no Valentina and no like chili can <laughs> spicy candies. And there was a lot of things that I didn't find, but it was not as radical. Yes. But Asia, that's when it hit me. Which like, was now in your late teens, early 20s? I was 18. I was 18 when I went to Thailand, Cambodia. This is a similar time as when you went to Toulouse in France. Yeah, it was on the same trip. I took a one year and a half gap. So it was Toulouse, first time, first experience living away, like not different continent, different country, fully by myself. I was mm -hmm. 18. And that same year, I took a, a year and a half gap year after high school prior to university. And that's a trip that I went to Asia. And that was like, Blow, like that yeah, let's talk blew about my it. mind. Yeah, like, let's talk about that mind blowing experience. Like you just had your world turned upside yeah. down, inside out. Definitely, you had new sensations, smells, yeah. sounds, everything. Yeah, everything. Again, going back to how sheltered Mexico is. Like we eat Mexican food. There's Italian, obviously, and Japanese. Like I didn't grow up eating <laughs> Indian food. Right, pad thai. Like that. Like yeah. that didn't exist on my nothing. So no. going to Asia was just. Buddhism, like monks, like architecture, like just everything was new. Yeah. Like I, you know, colors, smells, yeah, everything was just very... It might as well have been a different planet for, for you. <laughs> and the funny thing is that, okay, I was Asia, years later, I travel in South America. So you, you think, you know, you think like, oh, I travel, I know what it's like. <laughs> and then I went to India. And it's just like, oh, you think you know, but then, no, you don't, like, you can, you can never... <laughs> create certain like i don't know expectations i guess i don't know what's the word i'm looking for but like you're always going to be shocked like yes. there's always going to be different cultures there's always going to be something that's still new and different even though you think in your head that you know you don't and you know sometimes you don't have to go that far away i know a lot of people that living in the city even just going to a small town on the outskirts of the city is yeah. such a different lifestyle even in one city you know just like one neighborhood versus another it's completely different worlds and different realities yeah. so you don't have to go across the world to have the awareness of just different realities you know even there's a lot of indigenous languages in this country that i don't speak and i don't understand and yeah you know it doesn't have to be sexy thai no. <laughs> or vietnamese like you can just be within your own country the the theme I keep hearing as I hear you talk about that briefly is um, just being a sponge and soaking up the colorfulness and the diversity of the world mm -hmm. and being a student to all there is to learn, right? Yeah. What I'm also hearing is that process never really stops. And yes. you're really enjoying being able to learn from, as you said, even from your youth, like mm -hmm. traveling and just seeing different scenes. But more than ever, as you're able to, as an adult, travel to different places on your own, with friends, with now your husband, that process just continues and continues. Yes. But yet at the same time, what's really fascinating to me is that as you're accumulating also this like knowledge, right, and you have a degree and you've now taught workshops you're overseeing projects mm -hmm. and you're actually teaching others like you're now in this really fun position mm -hmm. where you're both a student of the world <laughs> and also you're a teacher for others so i'd like you to to share some thoughts especially around a time for example 
when we were building our first uh, dome together mm -hmm. with the earth bags, mm -hmm. and how you were placed in that position as the primary instructor on teaching a very international group of people yeah. how to build a home. Yeah. yeah. How did that feel? What did you gain from it, even though you were in a position of teacher? And, um, and, and maybe like some longer term effects from that? I think I was put in a position even before the dome experience. I think when we started making the bricks, that was the first time that I felt that I was responsible for something much, much bigger than myself. And like actually, like there was nobody else to blame. Like I was the one bringing the technique, teaching a crew of both Nepalese and international communities to make these bricks that this whole reconstruction model oh, is right. based on. So that was the first time that I was just also put in a position earth bricks. with the earth bricks. It was less formal than like the actual workshop because yes. there wasn't like a certificate. It was just like a ongoing day-to-day -day teaching. And I was just able, I think that everybody can be a great teacher when you, when you know what you're teaching, when you're passionate enough of what, what you know, then you don't realize how much knowledge you have gained over the years through passion, through studies. And you forget, or I keep even, I keep forgetting that people don't know really about sustainable building or why is that a thing or, you know, that there's all these other ways of building exist. Like in my head, it's just taken for granted. So when I had to teach people about earth or how stabilizing earth or how to build, like it's already there. Like I don't have to make this extra effort. People can just pick on my brain mm -hmm. and that's already it in some ways. Obviously from the engineering, engineering part, I like to have organized classes, like when it comes to a workshop. But yeah, putting myself in that position, not having an option to back out out of it, it was just a great way to push through it, you know, just like, and just confirm that, oh, I can do this. I can yeah. teach people. I can empower people. I can transmit the information that I have. I, I, I'm, I'm capable of doing that. Yeah. And when, when I did the first dome workshop, I think it was just like, again, a confirmation of that. And I just felt nothing but support by the community. Yeah. having my back and being able nothing but like accommodating on that space and then i don't know if all my workshops are going to be the same but the students were amazing and yeah. we just had a blast had a like it was such was a good so crew fun. it was so fun it was just so you know me i like efficiency and i thought it was also very efficient what's really interesting to me as i hear your answer is that mm -hmm. often we are the biggest doubters of our own abilities and knowledge mm -hmm. The theme of community is very important. It takes yeah. a community of people around you to cheer you on, to reaffirm that you're capable, to put yeah. you into a position where everyone is looking at you for I, knowledge and guidance. I mean, I think it's also like personality-wise. Yeah. I think some people are just very confident in that space. And like, and like now I feel very confident, like enough that I can pitch the idea to people. Be like, hey, I want to do this workshop because I've done it before. Yeah. You know, like, but I'm... It doesn't come from like a cocky place of like, oh, I'm like, I know. It's just like, hey, I have this information. I have this knowledge. I would love to share it. I would love to share this skill set. And for me, it is a lot about embracing and empowering people to build with their own hands. To just for them to know that they're capable, whether they're going to go ahead and do it or not, whether they're going to buy land and do it or not. It's just like, you can do this. Like you have the capacity to to do it yourself and for me just like sharing that it has a lot of value also maybe speaking from my own history of i went into university thinking hoping wishing dreaming that i was going to be all about like you know sustainable building and that wasn't the case i had one class in five years about sustainable building one class and we touched base on adobe for like 
45 minutes. They didn't know how to search for these workshops or how to like, you know, where can I learn? Like, where can I, when can somebody teach me how to do this alternative yeah. ways of, you know, ah. I didn't have access to that. So. so the value you have as constantly a student of the world, because you're always soaking up more knowledge, but mm -hmm. also now as a teacher and instructor mm -hmm. is you can be that person that's showing, hey, these kind of techniques are available. Most able-bodied people are able, are yes. capable of doing it. Yes. And you're really just a, a conduit, a catalyst of mm -hmm. empowerment so that more people can pick it up. Yeah. Because it's, you're not sharing your knowledge, as you said, you, I like the way you chose the wording there. You're sharing the knowledge not from a place of like egotistical, like stroking yourself, mm -hmm. like, like, hey, like I'm the know-it-all, mm -hmm. but you're just like, dude, y'all can build too yeah. like let's let's like roll up these sleeves and do it just do it and you know if people have the time and the physical labor hours then houses could be erected and built with much safer materials much lower costs mm -hmm. and a much lower negative impact on our environment and yeah. our bodies i mean these questions i think a lot of people can argue opposite because it's so labor intensive. But again, for me, I think this is also a way of filtering interest. For example, like if you're in a big city and you want to build like a 10 story building, then no, like super Adobe is not the way to go. No. Or, you know, <laughs> like, but why? It's not because it's not possible, it doesn't work. It's because it's that 10 story building, in my opinion, it's not sustainable. Yeah, yeah. Like that's not a way that we should be building. You question, period. It, you like, question <laughs> its existence. Yeah, I'm like, have to be there. Yeah, does it have to? What's the purpose? Like, oh, in the least <laughs> amount of space, I can put the most amount of people. Yeah. And just thinking like, okay, that's 10, 10 stories. That's 10 families. That's 10 cars. That's 10 bathrooms. That's 10, you know, it, for yeah, me, it's yeah. like, no, I'd rather just, like, if I'm going to build. And for me, that's why also another huge, just going back to that question, like, moment of realizing what I wanted to do yeah. is when I volunteer over the summer um, um, in the coast of Nayarit. So I was volunteering for three months and we're visiting all these rural communities. And for me, like, that's, that's, you know, you don't need to be building like stories. Like if you're just building housing, just simple houses that's for right. simple families, yeah. like even there, like you can have a huge impact. I've always had this number in my head, but people maybe don't know, but pollution of the world overall is about 40% into the construction industry. 40%. Yeah. It's a lot. So we're saying nearly half. Mm -hmm. And that is something that most of us don't even think about. Yeah. Because people think about household, maybe manufacturing, cars, airplanes, boats, Yeah, maybe. Which is also, I mean, I'm sure it yeah. also has but a big 40 number. 40% comes from construction. Because none of us see it. Because once you live in a house... You don't think about it. Yeah. No. I mean, you might, if you're traveling in Europe, you see all these cranes, you know, they're these yeah. giant ones, and they're always there. But like, if you just look at the amount of... If you just pay attention, if you're ever on the road, yeah. uh, I don't know about the U.S., but at least in Mexico is very common. Or even in Nepal, I mean, the amount of trucks that you see that are moving cement and steel. Yeah. It's like on a daily basis, oh. you see trucks moving with, Give, with this material. That example you gave me yesterday, mm -hmm. or maybe two days ago, mm -hmm. of like the project you're working on right now in town. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of, it's a three-story building mm -hmm. with 10 guest rooms. It's a hotel being renovated. And the mm -hmm. amount I remember is you have already moved away seven, eight truckloads of yes. garbage. And it's only a renovation project. It's only a renovation still project. still more to be moved And away. we actually did two more today. So we already got nine yeah. truckloads of just 
yeah. trash. Whether, like, just Stuff that is going to end up in a landfill. Yes. That's going to maybe pollute well, water. Well, sadly, here in Tulum, it actually just goes into the jungle. It's very, very sad. Yeah, like, literally. A land, it's not even a fill. It's, it's not even a fill. It's just like, it's a, yeah. It's a lump of garbage in the jungle. Exactly. It's wild. And I think, for me, that's, that's why I'm passionate about it. Like, okay, people, humans, we're not going to stop building. Like, that's just not reality. Like, you're not, you Correct. can't put this, like, you know. So for me, like, moving forward, it's like, hey, let's just do it. Let's just do it more sustainable. Let's just yeah. do it more friendly with the earth. And I'm not, I think there's a lot of builders out there. They're super, like, no cement. Just, and that's great. For me, I'm, I'm, again, I'm all about trying to be as sustainable as possible and safe as possible and efficient as possible. So for me, like, I'm not against using steel and cement. Yeah. But you can reduce it by, like, 80% or 90% Correct. choosing a, like, you know, a more like sustainable way of building. Yeah. Like it's okay. There are different reasons that, you know, that's fine, but just use it in a smart way. Just use it in a way like you actually need it. Like, yeah. is that the foundation? Is that the roof? Like, or plastering, whatever. Yeah. Do, whenever you need to bring those elements into the space, fine. Go what for it. What can you like, offset with material that is more regional, that has a lesser yeah. impact, that creates is, a less, and less waste? And none of this is new. I mean, no. we humans have been building Actually, shelters for ourselves for thousands and thousands of years. Long before. Cement has only been around for 200 years. It's like, you like, know, in terms of, it's like a sugar addiction. <laughs> you know, it's newer in our life, but we've been able to grow it, process it, package it, ship it everywhere. Mm -hmm. And cement and rebar is kind of like that. Yeah. So it's fast, it's cheap, it's available. Yeah. And so therefore you don't even think about like other options or then you, or then I think the industry itself, or even speaking honestly about even teachers myself, like they don't, they're not encouraging me to build with earth. Back in school, I remember like university, oh, okay. me like asking like, I don't know, like teach me how to build with Adobe. And they're like, no, that doesn't work. It's going to fall in the earthquake. I'm like, there's towns yeah. built with Adobe for over a hundred of years. Like they're, right. not, they're not going anywhere. They're not falling down. Like they're fine. Exactly. But like nobody's we're, teaching me how to do that. We are in a jungle where the mines live and there are buildings from 2000 years ago that are still standing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Through I'm, all the storms, exactly. tornadoes, exactly. natural exactly. events. Hurricanes, everything. Yeah. yeah. And even some of the, the plaster <laughs> and color remains like a thousand, two thousand years later. So it's like, hey, there's value in realizing that we've always done this and mm -hmm. this new mm -hmm. reliance on this extremely carbon intensive material that is strong, that yeah. is useful, yeah. um, doesn't have to be relied on as much as we no. do. Exactly. And the way that you and I have built in Nepal and you and Dominica and other parts of the world, you have firsthand seen a gigantic reduction in the amount of waste product and yeah. also just like there's just less chemicals leaching into the soil and yeah. that we're literally handling with our hands and smelling and so forth yeah and some people can even argue like you're also living just in a safer environment yourself like when you're inside a an earth exact home it's a very different feeling that you're inside like a concrete home or like a steel you know yeah and i think also a huge thing that again this like i think we live in this like fake we think that we have control over, I think humans, uh, we, we really want to control everything. Yeah. And the fact that we think that we're just building to be able to withstand all these like natural disasters. I'm like, we can to an extent, like to a degree. And let's say like, okay, I'm building this structure because the worst earthquake, it's, it's on this region, it's six. 
I have no idea if in 20 years or 200 years it's going to be a a 10 point like a 9.2 or a yeah. 8.7 like I'm only building this thinking that oh yeah it's safe and it's strong and I'm thinking like obviously over generations by building with concrete and steel you might think it's strong okay it's strong maybe at some point it's not going to withstand something and when that falls down it's just trash it's not going anywhere yeah when you build let's say Apalapa, Apalapa here uh, in Mexico, it's very common and it's like basically a thatched roof. Okay. When you build with thatched roof and a hurricane comes through, that's right. it goes away, like it falls down. Like I'm not saying I'm wishing or you should build thinking, but let's it say it's happen. just a reality, okay, it's gonna like fall down. Right. It's all not like, exactly, it'll all just disappear <laughs> and nothing will happen and you just build a new one. Yeah. You know, the same with, with earth, like, oh, if it's adobe, like, okay, you can like reshape, but I'm not saying that you're building thinking or expecting that it's gonna fall down. But, but in a hundred years or two hundred years or whenever it happens, it's only going back to the earth. For example, with a thatch roof, mm -hmm. you can patch certain parts, and it's not as heavy. So mm -hmm. even if it falls down, mm -hmm. the risk it has on people living inside is significantly lower. Yeah. Right. You can literally just put in a compost, and yeah. you can source the. And again, the when you're building houses for mm -hmm. like families, like that's not as dangerous as living in a ten-story. You yeah. know, apartment for evacuation roof, like, and and also for, this yeah. this element that. I think we've talked about is like the ability and empowerment of repair. If you live in a home that's made with cob, adobe, those sort of materials that are sourced like within maybe at 200 meters of your mm -hmm. home, the inhabitants can learn how to repair it themselves because their yeah. materials are right there and it doesn't take like a space An age. expert or yeah, yeah, you don't have to hire a consultant or mm -hmm. a contractor to do it. You can literally mix the, the clay sand yeah ratio with the lime and just patch an area that's falling. i think an element of communities and going back to like you know indigenous communities or building your shelter building your home it was also a very much like a community shared experience even when i was volunteering that was the theme like they were all trying to build houses so like let's say like 10 families agree that okay we're building each other's 10 houses we're going to focus on yours first, and then we're going to move to the second one, it's over. And I think even Nepali do it, you know, that when they plaster, so they, the, all the women will, like, gather, yeah. and they can just replaster someone's house, and then they to the next one. Like, I think building your house, it's also about community yeah. and building it yourself. It doesn't have to be... I think when people try to think of it from, like, a um, business model, it gets a little bit tough because you do require a lot of labor. Like, it's very much hands-on. But ideally, if you have... Like, let's say you want to build a cob oven, have, you don't need to hire people. Have your friends come over, like bring some beer and pizza, and just so like, we, hey, we're all gonna like play with mud today. You're gonna how build much an more oven. Fun is that? Like, it's memorable, and I, I even don't want to use the word time. I was gonna say it costs us time. No, no, no. Like I, I, I even want to remove that kind of language mm -hmm. and thinking from my head. It brings us together mm -hmm. instead of seeing it as like, oh, it's costing everybody this amount no. of resources. It's like, no, it's a great reason mm -hmm. to bring your best friends or those who are keen on building mm -hmm. together for a gathering and creation together. Yeah. Like, isn't that such a more beautiful way to look at it too? Yeah, no, I think yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a great way to go. And like, I feel very lucky like even right even dominica uh was working with like this haitian crew mm -hmm. and then right now i'm working with this mayan crew and there's always such interest from them like they just see that these techniques are more affordable yes, overall yes. they're safe they're yes. strong they're they, they just see that like i don't have to like sell it it's just like <laughs> i'm teaching them how to build with it and they can just see like oh 
yeah, I can, I can, can I build my house with this? Like, the amount of times that they ask me if they can build their house, I'm like, yeah, like... You're changing minds. Not. Yeah, because you're exposing your crew to these so-called newer ways. Yeah. You're actually just reviving these ancient techniques yeah. that actually have been in existence yeah. for hundreds of thousands of years. Yeah, but I, don't, I don't know if you remember, in, like, in Nepal, that. when we built the, the common space, the only people that knew how to build a touch roof, it was all the grandparents. Yeah. It was all the elders that were doing the thatch roof. Right. For me, even just like also even here or anywhere else, like we can just engage to have those techniques alive, you know, like, and even in that space, when we build the, the common space, the younger generations, like uh, their kids and their grandchildren were like there and just seeing it. Like, I think even by like encouraging that kind of building, then hopefully will also help for those techniques to, to survive. Yeah, to be uh, preserved and passed down. Yes. reviewing the conversation with Mariana, she reminded me to give a little more context as to what conscious impact is, because she and I and several upcoming guests talk about conscious impact so much, so much so that we use the letter CI to talk about it instead of saying conscious impact. And so I wanted to, to take a few minutes to explain to those of you who are new to the name and the organization what it is and what we do. So Conscious Impact was born out of the earthquakes, the big earthquakes in Nepal. They happened in late April and May of 2015. And two of my close friends from a long time ago, we used to work for the same nonprofit that works in Latin America and in Ghana. They happened to be trekking in the Everest Base Camp area when the first earthquake hit. And so what they learned in the aftermath is the earthquake was far more devastating than they had thought because they were quite a bit of a ways outside the epicenter. But the epicenter was close to Kathmandu, which is the capital and largest city in all of Nepal. And the valley surrounding it is pretty densely populated. The earthquakes took thousands of lives and leveled even more homes in the regions affected. And what my friends and I realize was there was so much work to be done that this is going to be going on for months, if not years, to follow. So after the trek, as they came back to Kathmandu, they teamed up with local community leaders, local NGOs, nonprofits, passing out emergency supplies, and just helping out in whatever way possible. And they soon also teamed up with some big international NGOs that were coming through, and what they realized in the weeks and months that followed was there's a desire by some Nepalis to rebuild with natural building materials and techniques. And that's when they found a group of Nepalis from a village that's called Takure, about five hours outside of Kathmandu, that were really keen on doing this, and doing this in a scale where as many homes from their village and maybe surrounding villages would be able to adopt because it was really cost prohibitive and a lot of Nepalis don't trust their government to give out 
aid and help. And I know that because they're so far from the capital city, they would likely be forgotten. So they quickly took it into their own hands to find workshops to learn how to build with these techniques. And that's when they found my friends Orion and Alan. And Orion is the guest for the next episode. And so as the weeks and months went by, this relationship grew and it became clear that my friends have had the international development experience having worked in Central America and in Ghana, and they have the capacity to fundraise and bring eager volunteers, helping hands from North America and in Europe and other parts of the world to come and help out with this rebuilding efforts. And so from September 2015 onwards, they started fundraising and getting people to build a base camp for all of the volunteer operations and in receiving the incoming earth brick machine from India. And to this day, Conscious Impact exists to serve the community of Takure and the surrounding areas. We've since diversified into not only the, the area of natural building techniques, we've also worked a lot with local youth from as young as the elementary school level up to the high school level. And we've partnered with local teachers, nonprofits that have sent us incredible humans and resources along the way. To last but not least, we have the agriculture program that work with local farmers, which is a high majority of them because about 99% of them are subsistence farmers, which means they grow most of the food they eat. And we knew that to connect with them means that we would have to talk their language of food growing, of agriculture, and how to sustain themselves, not only from the nutritional standpoint, but also financially. How do they take certain products to the market? If they have surplus, what kind of cash crops would they focus on if the year had this kind of weather? And how do we also, at the same time, nurture the environment, rebuild the soil, and maybe slow down or even reverse the rates of deforestation because there is a lot of that happening. And we can see in the region where erosion and erratic climate patterns are already affecting farmers and that their yields are not as effective. So all to say, an ongoing conversation at every level to come to understand on both sides and more what the needs are and to have a ongoing dialogue and determine what not only the needs are, but what solutions could we implement together to build a more connected and thriving community. And so I wanted to read on the website of Conscious Impact, the mission, which I really resonate with. To connect people to themselves, each other, and the earth through community service work around the world. Yeah, I really believe in that to be true. Having spent time there myself in late 2015 to mid-2020 during the pandemic, I can really stand behind that statement. And certainly, even though the work has been physically in Nepal at our camp in Takure, the seeds that have been sown in the minds of all the people who have come through, which by this point must be hundreds and hundreds of individuals from around the world, everyone has really taken the skills and interests and talents that they have brought from the regions where they call home 
to Nepal and they've skilled up, learned from the community, learned from each other, and they're bringing back to the places and communities where they live and devote themselves to. And so really it's become a Himalayan base camp for not just trekking, but for ideas to implement, to really be implemented in other parts of the world to make what we hope and intend to make the earth a better place. Conscious Impact has really given a lot to me. It's offered me a lot of personal growth. It has taught me so many hard skills and soft skills. It's allowed me to expand my artistic eye and ability to see myself as part of a greater microcosm and that I play a small but important role in places that I go to. And being able to storytell visually and through audio and video has been really magical. It's given me a lot of fulfillment and feeling of satisfaction. It's opened up my eyes to the world and so many challenges and perspectives that exist. And it's allowed me to kick off this podcast with three of the most important humans of not just Conscious Impact, but in my own life in the last eight years. With that said, let's jump back to the conversation with Mariana. Part of the vision that I have, going back to your first question, it's that, it's being able to um, enable local communities to maintain their languages, to maintain the recipes, to maintain the the medicine, you know, from the plants as well. Like exactly, like, like just knowing what kind of tea is good for your belly, and you know, and we have it in Nepal as well, like you know, mama and or parvati, like anybody exactly. in our community. Like when Don't I twisted my ankle, they came and did like this mix, and yeah, and it's like a certain way of doing things. They were just not putting like they had to like bring it to a boil and like this amount of cow dung and this amount of clay and it has to be like did you say cow dung <laughs> yes it's medicinal yeah it's, they use it for everything you're so. right it's a they're knowledge holders yeah and really the and being able to preserve that and i think everybody right now i mean it's been happening for generations obviously but um people continuously leaving the the mountains or the rural living to go into a city space and we just really every day languages are dying disappearing yeah so for me hopefully if i can just help in any way shape or form to maintain some of that ancient knowledge will be this is like preservation of culture and identity Mm -hmm. through revitalizing ancient building technologies yeah and but i think there's a lot of people that live in a that's like your tagline in a urban urban like uh, spaces that they want that people are seeking it it's becoming more of a thing you know people are seeking Wanting to build so. like that, they want to live differently. They want to go back to the land. They yeah. want to. So I'm not saying we're the majority, but it's there. There's an interest. There's an awareness. I do believe too. Mm-hmm. There's a steadily building critical mass. No matter what stage of that realization, awakening, so to speak, you're at. Whether it's like, oh, the way we've been living is not right or not sustainable or both. And you're like, there must be something else. You, maybe you begin the search. You don't even know what keywords to find. And some people may be like, oh, I know I just got dropped this like keyword or phrase or technique to look up. And then they start, you know, the, basically their search 
into the, a new rabbit hole. Yeah. yeah. And it is going to be people like yourself that can be like guides, really, mm -hmm. if I had to think of it in, yeah, in that yeah. way, to bring more people into this critical mass. We did that, I think, in Nepal. We did it very, very well. Like being of service, not just to the, the community where we live, but being of service to the people that come through. You know, because I think a lot That's of times, right. especially now days with social media, you can see things online yeah. and it's like, oh my God, it looks amazing, blah, blah, blah. It looks great. But like really questioning, like, does that even work? Is that, can I, can you see it in real life? And then I think people coming through camp and seeing it themselves, like, oh, this is not just a nice post of an earth back dome. Like I'm yes. actually able to see it myself. See it, feel I'm it. Yeah. I feel it like, see with my eyes, I'm actually building with wattle and dove and I can yep. see that like, oh, you it. can build with bamboo and earth and that's it. Like. Oh, composting latrines? It's, oh, they actually work? Oh, this is how you do it? <laughs> and like, it just, being able to also be like sort of like a showcase to this, yeah. like just for people for sure. from all over the world that want to come and see it. Like, yes, it's possible. That's right. Yes, composting latrines are great. Yeah, <laughs> like, and we've been pooping in it for six years. And we create our own compost and, and we're not polluting any rivers. <laughs> we've created fruit out of our own compost. Yeah. We have closed the loop in this regard, right? Yeah. Like, oh, the hippies are right after all. Yeah. I think what's really beautiful is that we have been in service. You're absolutely right. And I love that that component is something that's essential, integral yes. to oh, your yeah. future living situation. A hundred percent. And, you know, I want to be a part of something like that, which is why mm -hmm. this is why we cross paths in Nepal, right? What's really cool, I think our last count when we actually try to do a tally mm -hmm. was that we've had people, I don't know the number at this point, maybe Beth does, but mm -hmm. we have had people from over 35 countries come yeah. from camp. Come I think that's, camp. that's about right. Yeah. And so I think what's really cool in light of what you have just shared mm -hmm. is all of these people have not stayed in Nepal. All of these people are from different places. Mm -hmm. They've traveled to other places. Mm -hmm. Some of them are hosting workshops, like our friend from Belgium, Joe, mm -hmm. yeah. he's like doing yeah, a workshop yeah. in a week or two. Yeah on building a dome. Yeah. And so they're taking these seeds with them figuratively mm -hmm. and then spreading it to more places yeah. and growing it. So I think there, that's the element I think of optimism and hope and just like really beautiful assimilation. Yeah. Right. Replication. Yeah. No, I think it's just beautiful. Like for just inspiring people, just seeing it through themselves and just whatever they take from that. I mean, it's, it could be just an experience of like, nice memory back in Nepal or you can be or you can grow a lot more I think we've also heard from a bunch of people that they decided to go into a specific kind of study or a master's degree or they changed their jobs because they were so inspired uh -huh. their experience in Nepal that they it changed their life like literally <laughs> like yeah. not you know yeah. they they just a different path like something I think it's a very it's just when you offer a space of such pure opportunities for like true connection Again, like when I think our model says, like to yourself, to others, and to the land. Yeah, magic happens. I think it does. It just, and it's, and I like it because it's not. It's not like when you're going into a retreat. I love retreats. It's not to criticize, but like you go <laughs> into of like oh, I want to change my life or I want this clarity to come to me. It's, yeah. it's such a, and I think it happened. What we have in Nepal, it's just very organic. It just happens because you're just you're in a setup. And I think it's a mix of things. It's not just one element. Yeah. I think it's everything that we do. It's not linear. Being all. in nature, being of service, working with your hands, getting your hands in the dirt. Like it's not just one of the very elements that work. It's, yeah, and it just happens very organic when you're in a space like that, where you're being grateful every day as a daily practice. 
boom, I think just like something happens. And I think that's very, very beautiful to, to witness and to live in that space and to offer that, you know, yeah. to not just myself, but like to other people and to visitors and family. I think my, my mom and my brother, when they came, they also had a very like strong in their own ways. But, you know, as little as my mom sort of eats like she eats less meat now, <laughs> you know, and Wait, she went due, through this whole due like to, <clears throat> due to her time there. Yes. Oh, yeah. She was really inspired by, by her time there. Yeah. She actually sort of that's what, the reason why she quit her job. <gasps> she was like, I want to live my life differently. And I'm just like working too much. And she got inspired to like try out yoga. And she went back and like took painting classes. And <gasps> yeah, as a reminder at, you know, whatever age you are, like just to reconnect with, with yourself and nature. And that is so close and dear to your heart. Your, <laughs> your beloved mother not only went to Nepal, I had a chance. That's, that's my first time meeting her. Yeah. And Louise yeah. actually. That's the aftermath. Yeah. That is, you know, speaking of like pivotal moments mm. and experiences in life, mm -hmm. that is one for her. Yes. Yes. And also for you too, as her daughter and having her there and then seeing the changes that came in the weeks and months and years that followed, like how, how incredible, monumental is that? Yeah. Well, and I know it's just, I mean, it's my mom's, so I know it, you know, firsthand, but I am sure that everybody that has come through has had. An experience like that you know something just very deeply changed in them or yeah. just the awareness or the memories or you know the relationships like it's just such a pure space a lot of it has to do with being in nepal yeah uh, and the magic that the himalaya mountains hold sure but i also think it's just when you're in a, i think it can happen anywhere you it know could. when you have those elements when you're truly connected to nature when you're truly being of service when you truly have <laughs> time and energy the choices that we have on a daily basis when you live in a city space like is just tiring. Like yeah. I, I love that. For example, when you live in community, like I don't have to think of what I'm going to be eating three times a day. It just happens. Like other people are cooking. I'm just going to show up, but there's a meal ready. Yeah. I don't have to look at a menu. And yeah. like, I think sometimes like the amount of choices that we have to make on a daily, like <gasps> it's overrated. We think like, Oh, I'm very blessed and I'm very honored that I have the ability to choose. Right. And in many ways that's true. But I think it, I, again, for me, the key is sustainable, like being sustainable. Like it, for me, sustainability means also just balance. And I think when you're in a space, like it's just out of balance, the amount of choices that you have to make, mm. not even on a daily basis or like on an hour basis, like oh my gosh, food, I, uh, clothing, um, 100%. driving, like which street are you taking? Like it's just, it, you don't think of it, yeah. but when you're put in a position that you haven't thought about, oh, like, like in Nepal, like I don't use money. I'm, I live in a space where I don't even have to think about my wallet. Yeah. I like I, I can go weeks without yeah. using money. Well, the way we have set our community. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. And I'm not saying it's but it's, but but it's, it's, just, it's a good example of how we have very intentionally simplified our lives yeah. so that we can better recalibrate ourselves and focus on what yeah. we're there for. When I talk to people, I think it sounds very intense when I explain it the way that we live. Yeah. It sounds very dramatic of like, we don't have a fridge and we don't have a microwave <laughs> and we walk everywhere. People are just like, what? Like it's, it sounds crazy, but you know, you were there. It happened very organically. Like it just, and you don't think about it. When I'm there, I don't think like, oh my God, I wish I had a, a microwave. No, like we've created a system that it works and I don't think yeah. of not having those things. I would have never planned to sign up something like that. It just happened. And I'm really grateful and honored to just like how smooth that transition was. Yeah. And my first 
learning from being in that space, just being really aware of like, I need very little to live as a human being. Like, I, a- when society tells me that I need a lot more things, but like in reality, like day to day, like I need very little. I do remember hearing it from multiple sources, could be YouTubers, could be documentaries, I'm not sure, but on a daily basis, folks who live modern urban lifestyles have to make about 30,000 decisions. Wow. Micro to macro. And an individual from, let's say, a economically developed country Mm -hmm. of, you know, decent economic standing, they own like over 10,000 items. And, And you really only use about a few percentage of that on the regular. And so when you have this much physical stuff, as well as all of these things that take, just chip away at your ability to think clearly or focus or your energetic expenditure, right? Your, your tank, mm-hmm. so to speak, of energy that you have each day when you wake up, no matter how well you sleep. <laughs> like, what are we left with, right? After all of those decisions, think, yeah. accounting for all of those physical items, mm-hmm. you know, and of course, not just, maybe not just the well-being of only yourself, but maybe those of your immediate surroundings, your family, friends, and so mm-hmm. forth. It's like what is left is so small, or maybe you're like in a negative. And so maybe some people have to work another job to make up for the negative in the finances, or they have to sleep an extra hour when they're physically really tired. Mm-hmm. And that takes away fundamentally their connection to themselves yeah. and what they may express as an individual free of others' needs of them. So I find it as a sad reality that hopefully when you really get to the, when we get to the core of it, we can evaluate and kind of rediscover that. For me, it's all interconnected. It's all woven. Every single like action that, yeah, that that you take or it will have a reaction. I know this is one of the (laughs) basic laws. Yeah. (laughs) I see it very clearly. Like it needs to be said. And we we don't, we don't, I think that we forget of how true that is. And in the moment you might not think of how big or small that effect will be after your decision or after your, your action taken, but there'll be an effect. I think sometimes when you live in a society in a space, like it's sort of like approved or allowed or it's okay. So you don't question it. Uh, but like by choosing to leave, you know, to have a certain job or by choosing to have a car or like all these choices that you have to, to not have a car. Or, yeah. But they're, they're okay. Even though I think like they're not that healthy. Or they're, yeah. Uh-huh. It, they're, it's very accepted. It's, it's, it's an okay thing Correct. to, to do but it takes a lot out of absolutely absolutely as we move towards a close i think the question i want to ask is what does it mean to you to live an intentional wholesome life i guess for me there's just like not another option like i just don't like i don't i don't think of a, a different way i feel extremely honored and grateful that I've had the experience that I had in Nepal, like being exposed to living in community, being exposed to living a service life. Once I have tried that, for me, there's no going back. Once I saw that, oh, that's a, this is a possible way of living, I don't want to live any other way. And I've been put in this position right now due to whatever reason to live right now in Tulum, to have a job from nine to six, to be living in a household, having a car and all these things. And I'm like, okay, 
that's great. But I, I'm, you know, now more than ever, I am. This has only reassured yeah. that I don't want to live this way. That there's different. Like I just want to be really aligned with my values, the values that I hold, and the values that I hold are. I want to protect the elements as much as possible. It's very hard to fight that fight when you're in it. For example, like being back in college and just being like, hey, teach me how to catch water from rain. Like my teacher's like not being interested in teaching me that. Like I, I respect. Oh, you ask and, specifically. Oh, specifically. Oh, yeah. <sighs> hands down. Like I'll be like, teach me how to do this. And they're like, no, that's not part of like, it was just like hard. No. And I appreciate it. And I'm grateful for the people that are like in the system trying to fight that fight. Yeah. For me, it's just like fighting fire with fire. It's just not. I'd rather I have learned that I can only be responsible for my own actions. I can no longer spend time and energy trying to make others change their minds or showing like in Nepal, hands down, leading by example. Leading by That's what I can do. And I can only be responsible for the way that I eat, the way that I live, the way that I build. That's it. Like it's no longer like if you're vegan or vegetarian, you eat meat. I'm responsible for, for just how I eat. I have gained a lot more just like respect to everyone's path mm. and just really want to honor mine by right. doing what feels right to me. And to me, that's what feels right. It feels right living in nature, building with earth, growing as much food as I can possibly can, living in community, sharing yeah. the spaces with people that I love, not yeah. by blood, but this chosen beautiful family. And uh, creating that space, hopefully, you know, with Orion and a lot of our crew back in Nepal. And if we have kids and when we have kids, like to share those uh, and pass yeah. that along again with not really attachment because maybe they want to become lawyers and who yeah, knows. Yeah. <laughs> or just the timeline's different. Yeah, no, but so. definitely what I'm hearing is thank you for that. Yeah. It's lead by example and you become your own role model. You yeah. become your best role model. Yeah. And know that each day you can still improve that best version oh, and of yourself. And I still get inspired by a lot of other people that are yeah. doing similar things. And I still like love asking and like engaging with like-minded people and asking and sharing knowledge. I think just like also that's a huge thing. I think we've also encountered people that are doing sustainable building and they don't want to share their things. Like they're like, yes. no, I'm just like, what? We're all in this together. You know, like yeah. I'm happy to share whatever knowledge I have. I'm happy to share it. And it's the life that I would like, the path that I would like to walk on this lifetime and try to share with people if they're interested. And just, yeah, I want to offer a space for others to, to live that way, to live, to be their, the, the better version of themselves. And for me as well, you know, it's a, and as I said before, when traveling, it's, you still learn every day. And you can still be a better version of yourself every day. And we're still humans and we forget and, you know, we have setbacks and no doubt. it's just, it's just life. And I want to yeah, say thank you for asking all these questions and walking this beautiful path. I am reflecting a lot of, to the people and the life that I've had. And I'm really grateful for you to taking me in this journey. <laughs> We are literally walking the journey together, yeah. the path. And the behind the scenes is shot by Orion Haas. <laughs> Where have we recorded this session? We are currently in Tulum, in this place called Holistica, and they have a little art walk. And if you ever find yourself here, it's very nice. They have a couple of murals. It's in the very young jungle that you have in this region. And yeah, we just did a little, little loop. 
behind Holistica. conversation around the disconnect of the modern day lifestyle and hearing about her cultural background and early influences the first travels and that mind expansion that comes with it certainly really hit home the flavor and context of course culturally geographically is different from my life but it is so interesting that we could be living worlds away time zones away but yet have this similarity and resonance in how we were maybe brought up and remembering those first moments when your mind just explodes, expands, and formulate different channels and ways of being and ways of being brought up and the foods that you eat. So <laughs> I really enjoyed that. There was definitely a lot of good laughter and enjoyment when we were connecting more deeply. Yeah, for me, I think the aspects in which Mariana talked into becoming really personally empowered to that moment of realization that as she learns these new skills and techniques, she's able to do it physically and more. And that shift from not only being able to learn as a student, but to turn it around and become the teacher for others and really coming from a place of wanting to share this incredible knowledge of building and maintaining your home and other essential structures. So yeah, I find it to be very inspirational and certainly having worked directly with Mariana in Nepal and in other places, I find that to be absolutely true. And the truth is she has been doing these workshops and been a teacher worldwide now in Sub-Saharan Africa, in the Caribbean, uh, in Himalayas, as of course we mentioned, and in different parts of Mexico as well. And so I really hope for her and for me and our community worldwide that we get to have Mariana travel now with her baby son to these certain places and preserve and pass on this amazing knowledge of natural building and in doing so indirectly or directly inspiring this way of more connected living and thinking more communally instead of individually and coming back to what's important, which is the self-care and caring for others, the giving back to community, the giving back to the earth, the decentralized nature of knowledge passing, the way that I think a lot of humans and indigenous groups worldwide have been doing it and continue to do so today. So yeah, it's also really nice to hear that. Yeah, I have a, a skill and a friendship with um, Mariana that she values and I'd love to be there, you know, wherever she and Orion sets up in the future. So <laughs> wherever I am, I'm keen to visit and spend some time of the year or more there. 
So yeah, as uh, as mentioned uh, in the introduction, this being the very first episode with a guest, I'd love to hear feedback. Please drop me a line, email works, direct messages on social media. If you're subscribed to my newsletter, then that's a good avenue since you're getting the announcements of new episodes to drop me a line. Any constructive feedback is greatly valued so that I can continue to to be better. And most definitely a shout out to Melissa Caitlin Carter in editing this episode and my homeboys Carlos Militante and Scott Hansen in creating a lot of the musical tracks that you hear throughout the episode. Thank you, brothers, for your artistry and your beautiful sounds. Last but not least, shout outs in order to my Patreon subscribers. All of you past and present have made this production possible in gear and just a feeling of support in hiring different folks for their talents and skill sets, putting it all together. This is definitely a communal effort and certainly the, the theme of community will be present throughout each episode. I'm certain. So yes, thank you for being here. And until next time, be well. You know, when I was younger, I used to kind of roll my eyes and not at all understand and of course skip through the credits and acknowledgements when movies and TV shows or podcasts the host talks about like, oh, we got to thank this person and this person. It just goes on and on and on. I never really understood it. And I think in the last few years alone, I've really come around and realized, my goodness, even the smaller projects like this require a whole team. They really require and really benefit from a whole community around it. And so I'm here to proudly acknowledge the humans through the years since the launch of my Patreon in 2018 who have been contributing and or contributed in the past at levels at which I just need to say their names and acknowledge the, all that they've done, the time they've given to give me comments and dropping messages, giving me advice, and of course dropping in their hard-earned dollars or whatever currency they're earning in to support me and all the projects that I've devoted my time to, including the Wilderness Within podcast. So here we go. I want to give a special thank you to Paul Jones, Antoine Mays, Ayana Ballen, Deborah Carson, Renee Dyke, Luke Fernandez, Kelly P, Karina Formile, Kelsey Lynn, Ken Russell, Kelsey Yates, Michael Chung, Evans DeGoles, Reiki Corden, Christine Schumann, Lindsay Clavery, I'm sorry if I'm butchering your name, and anyone's, Anne Goodman, Yushin Tuan, Otis Skipper, Steve Tracy, Delvin Sokinson, Stephen Moe, Steph Bird Parker, Anna Ritz, Camila Newlands, Dana Wilson, Nora De Garcia, Dora Lee, Orion Haas, Michelle Kisner, Stephen Wong, Gutier Baga. Jackie Chow Solinsky, Romar Smith, Peter Wells, Jackie Chern, Setop Sukpo, Frankie Lee, Jim Barngrover, Lisa Colligan, Merrick Bowers, Ryan Liu, and last but not least, Mikey Learn. Thank you so much, y'all. Really means a lot for your support, past, present, future, 
You make my dreams come true. You allow me to work where I travel to. You allow me to create content where I'm passing through. You allow me to trust that each month I'm going to have this nice little baseline of income that really sustains me, that sometimes really puts food on the table and allows me to go, hey, like I can commit to this project. I'm going to buy that piece of gear. I'm going to hire that person. I'm going to invest in myself and the services and goods that allow me to create and expand and try new things and experiment. And all of this is a part of it. So thank you. I am so grateful.